Hey there, it's Jordan Sheridan, Status Coup. I hope everybody's having a lovely day. Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. Quite, quite uh, the eventful uh, time in the news. Uh, you got uh, what people are calling World War III on the brink uh, with Ukraine, Russia, and of course, uh, the United Corporations of America wanting to get involved uh, with this uh this issue between Ukraine and Russia uh, and a whole lot of other stories going on. So uh, I am delighted to be joined by Steve Grumbine of Real Progressives. Uh, Steve Grumbine, the co-founder of Real Progressives, doing great stuff, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, Steve, if you can just quickly stand by as I do a quick promo before we get to the news. Uh, listen, big status coup week last week, big status coup week last week uh the flint story that i broke with the guardian uh that came out uh, a little over a week ago uh we were fortunate to get on a bunch of different shows uh to highlight the story uh we've gone up a whole lot of subscribers so welcome if there's any new subscribers here uh we have gone up uh, nearly 100 paid uh status coup members and Membership is how we grow. It's how we fund the investigative reporting. It's how we fund the on-the-ground reporting, which I'm hoping to get back on the ground pretty soon. Uh, so alert to new members that signed up for $5 a month. This Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, 4 o'clock Pacific, is our monthly members call through Zoom. Uh, so it is uh, a, a Zoom call. Uh, every, I, I will be there. Uh, Tina, who does freelance reporting for us, uh, will be there. Colin uh, and his cats will be there. Uh, so it is our monthly call through Zoom uh, where you could be on camera if you want. Uh, you can mute your camera if you don't want to be on camera, where I answer questions, comments, concerns, and as always, uh, provide behind the scenes TMI uh, that you that you would not hear unless you are a member and in the members call. I'll promote it a little bit later in this stream, but just wanted to get that out there right off the bat. This Thursday, January 27th, 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. Steve, now that that's out of the way, and smash the like button, share this stream. The more people that press like, the more people that will see this. You know, I guess we should start with Russia and Ukraine. I'll be first and foremost to tell people, I, I like to just put a disclaimer when I'm not an expert on something, when I don't know the intricacies. Uh, so I am not Kyle Kalinske on this subject. I am not Abby Martin on this subject. I am I'm not Aaron Maté on this subject. I'm just me. I domestic politics uh, is kind of my wheelhouse. Uh, I, I believe you would say the same thing too. Uh, but you and I were talking before this that there's some stuff that we don't hear anyone talking about uh, in relation to the Ukraine and Russia uh, standoff. Uh, if you know, if you don't know what's going on, the Cliff Notes version, uh, there's a major standoff. Uh, the media and the neocons are huffing and puffing that. Putin and Russia is about to invade Ukraine. Uh, there is military buildup. Uh, Russia has reportedly put 100,000 or so troops on the border between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, the U.S. is arming everybody and their mother. <laughs> Ukraine, uh, other uh, post-Soviet Union uh, states around Ukraine. So the U.S. has been arming uh, both Ukraine and other states in a, pot in a potential buildup. Uh, it was announced yesterday, I believe, that the U.S. has uh, a little over 8,000 troops at the ready. Um, so this is pretty bad, uh, if you ask me. Personally, uh, not that I don't care about Ukraine or, or Russia, but I don't know why the media is hysterical about this, but they don't seem to cover, you know, we're still committing genocide in Yemen and many other places that we should care about. Uh, it's not to say you shouldn't care about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, but what about all the other places and uh, all the other people that are starving or being killed due to U.S. involvement in uh, other countries? But, Steve, I wanted to uh, talk to you about this. So remember, smash the like button. I'll just read just a quick part from this article uh, you pointed out to me. U.S. enemies are lining up to test Joe Biden. Uh, by Joe Biden is confronting a series of distinct but interlocked interlocking global crises and hotspots with U.S. foes lining up to test the mettle of an under pressure leader and their own sense that the United States is a retreating global power. Biden made the kind of fateful decision on Monday that might be more at home in the tense 1970s, uh, putting up to 8500 troops on alert. That's what I just mentioned. 
to rush to Eastern Europe to counter the Kremlin's move to force the U.S. away from its Western flank. But his trial of nerves with Russian President Putin, who is holding Ukraine hostage, CNN, in a bid to reverse the West's expansion after the Cold War, is far from his only global headache. Uh, and then they go on to talk about on the other side of the globe, a strategic ballot of military might is playing out as the, U as the U.S. and China maneuver armadas and warplanes amid tensions over Taiwan. So, Steve, with, the, with it established that essentially you have a standoff between Russia and Ukraine, Russia, I, th I think there's validity, uh, doesn't want NATO further, uh, further going east towards Russia. Uh, Russia, when the post when the Soviet Union broke up, was given assurances by the West that NATO would not further march towards Russia. Uh, like many assurances the U.S. has made, that has not held up. I mean, Turkey basically has missiles pointed at Russia, which, as you remember, U.S. did not take kindly to Cuba having Russian missiles pointed towards us. Not that not that Putin is a good guy. I'm just trying to be fair here. <laughs> That Russia does have valid concerns about uh, the West encroachment further into Russia. Uh, and we, and I know uh, myself and Tina are going to talk about this probably next week, we're, we're pretty much arming neo-Nazis in Ukraine right now, in addition to whoever, whoever else we're arming. But putting aside the, the specifics of Russia versus Ukraine, uh, you and I were talking before this that there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that involve other countries kind of looking at the U.S. and possibly thinking, oh, Biden, the U.S., not, a, not as big of a superpower anymore, and maybe this is their opportunity to kind of test us. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is a story. I mean, if you take yourself out of the current situation, you look back in history the Roman Empire spread too far, too wide, too thick. It just literally eventually dissipated around the edges. And as the the very, very charismatic leader that was keeping it all together, the Caesar at the time, died. So did the empire. And it ended up dissolving and, and it became a series of warlords and new areas that became illiterate and so on and so forth. And you see this has also happened uh, throughout history with Alexander the Great and more currently uh, Napoleon Bonaparte even. Uh, whenever empire stretches itself out too far, whenever it tries to put its tentacles into too many things, eventually it shows its underbelly, it shows its weaknesses. And right now we've we made a big to-do about Russia. We made a lot of it since Hillary Clinton's uh, failed uh, attempt at the presidency. And now all of a sudden, you know, the Democrats are in power. And so they're trying to shift their focus away from Russia and over to China because they're trying to use this as leverage for the build back better, uh, you know, mindset, if you will, looking at the insane, great, awesome infrastructure that's been built up in China and using that as a new form of Cold War to gin up support domestically for a lot of robust spending. So really, really, once again, using Cold War style rhetoric to try to boost the economy. Well, all the while, we've got the Ukraine situation playing out and Putin's looking at us and he's saying, ah, the, the tiger's got his eye off me for a minute. Let me see if I can slip one by him here. And this is not a testament that the U.S. empirical behavior is good. It's horrible. But it's to show that when a an empire tries to reach beyond its means and the rest of the world is starting to take notice of all the cracks in the armor, that it starts poking. And Biden has proven himself to be feckless, both on domestic policy and foreign policy. The failed withdrawal from Afghanistan, the, the botched withdrawal, is fresh on everyone's minds, fresh on the fact that they know that this administration is caught between two mindsets. One is trying to retreat away from empire, and the other is still at the same time trying to give off the impression that we're all about empire and meddling in, in foreign affairs. So we haven't got a clear-cut foreign policy right now. We don't have a clear-cut way of viewing what we want from the world. And as a result of that, we are literally being tested by every single person we've ever thumbed our nose at or meddled with. And they're starting to size us up and they see us ripe for the pickings. 
Um, I think in particular, the Russia-China dynamic plays out even more so because both of those players are very instrumental in our discussions with Iran and understanding their nuclear capabilities. But it's also directly tied to Korea, North Korea. And so then add in all these other aspects, uh, you know, with with obviously China uh, desperate for us to take our eyes off China for a minute so they can continue what they're doing. I, th I think it's got a real uh, potential to create a lot of problems for us, uh, you know, you right, wrong or different indecision. You said something that I want to drill in more because you said the U.S., on one end is trying to end being, you know, empire, but on the other end continue. I don't know. Did I miss something that the U S is trying to no. end being, being a global imperialist and empire? Cause yeah, he well, got out of Afghanistan. He got out of Afghanistan. We still have a whole lot of private contractors there, blah, 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 blah. I, for one, I don't really care. I, I mean, I, I feel for the Afghanistan people. Uh, we are, we have crippling sanctions on them right now that is starving the Afghanistan people. Uh, so he got out, but now he's starving the Afghanistan people. I'm, I'm, I for one, it, it was going to be messy no matter what if we got out of Afghanistan. But can you kind of explain more that China and these other countries see the U.S. as trying on one end to kind of pull back on empire? What well, do you mean so by that? you look at it with with Russia. The the U.S. really wants to not be focused on the Ukraine. The U.S. really wants to not be focused on that area at all. They really desperately want to pivot to this whole concept of China being the new bad guy. They really need China to be that boogeyman. And to be able to take on China and Russia at the same time, that's too much for anybody. That, that, that just in and of itself is a massive, massive, horrible Cold War. I mean, it was one thing to be at Cold War with the, you know Russia back during Reagan and so forth. It's another thing to take on two superpowers at the same time and try and dilute your power and your strength there while simultaneously dealing with North Korea and simultaneously trying to deal with Iran and, and others. So I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that the U.S. is trying to appease, to some degree, the internal desires of the nation to get out of these wars, which is why he pulled out of Afghanistan, even though, to your point, those private contractors are still there and they still have sanctions crippling them, which is an act of war, in my opinion, as well. But it's not the same thing as the incursions. I mean, you look, 8,500 troops are at that European line there by the Ukraine. 8,500. It's not a lot of troops, but it's enough when you're dealing with an incursion into that area. That's not what we want to spend our time on. You know, I mean, that's not where Biden's trying to he really desperately wants to pivot to China because all of his domestic spending for infrastructure is highly dependent on being able to put the focus on China's efforts uh, with all the things that they're doing there. And, and literally without being able to make that the crystallized focus of his domestic agenda to build back better in this, you know, you, he's got nothing. So the, everyone's looking at him and realizing he's got his hand in too many cookie jars right now. He's, there's too many things going on, and they recognize that if he turns his head to the left, that they can do something to the right. And that's what you're seeing now. All these different enemies that we've set up realize that we're stretched too thin, that we can't be all things to all people, and that we can't have the kind of focus to deliver the kind of uh, efforts that Biden's trying to do in the U.S. And they know. They know exactly what he's doing. This is not like they're not dumb. They all know that Biden's using them as a pivot to try to get domestic a policy approved. So it's kind of a triangulation by using foreign, you know, geopolitical uh, arrangements to gin up support like we did in World War II when you had all the factories going at the same time. So in one way, there's some nobility in terms of trying to get the domestic economy booming again, to rebuild the infrastructure, do all these things that would have made him like an FDR. If you remember old Bernie saying Biden's going to be like a new FDR, but this, this foreign policy blunder, if you will. And I don't know if you call it a blunder so much as is a complete and utter miscalculation of how many fires are out there to be put out. And so yeah. I think he's also underestimating the hard-nosed, hard-line stances that a lot of these countries are taking that are, quite frankly, tired of the U.S. having a say-so in. So I, you know, to your point, NATO, go ahead. 
Well, I think it's interesting, and I want to break it down for people that might not understand, because even I don't fully understand. Again, foreign policy is not really what I focus on. But it seems to me that China has been investing for uh, two decades now, uh, massive buildups, massive buildups in renewables, clean energy, transportation, um, giving massive subsidies to citizens who buy, go, you know, buy electric vehicles, this and that. And it seems that Biden and uh, the Democrats, well, maybe the Republicans too, uh, instead of looking over at China and saying, hey, on, on an economic uh, on an economic aspect, uh, they're they're going to lap us soon as the, as the global superpower economically, uh, and kind of turning to the donors because again we do live in the United Corporations of America and saying, hey guys, gals, my 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 masters, you have to allow us to spend more money. You have to allow us to actually invest in the country. Instead of that, he's turning China's investments into a cold war and trying to instill yes. fear, trying to instill fear in people. Uh, instead of actually, I don't want to say complimenting, but actually pointing out like the competitive nature of it, that this country is lapping us. They're, they're doing all the things we should have done 15, 20 years ago. They're trying to basically, in a way, create Russiagate, but Chinagate, do I, do I have that kind of right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, when you look, the, the, in my opinion, we can't acknowledge that China is better than us in this space. It just this is not the American way to uh, to acknowledge someone else doing something right. We have to demonize them in order to make our machine move. Our machine doesn't move for the right things. It only moves when there's an enemy. When we can gin up an enemy, when we can create an enemy, then everybody pulls together in pursuit of said enemy. And that's the only way that Biden feels that he can get Republican support or even conservative Democrat support uh, and popular support, quite frankly, for these bold spending programs. Um, and, and bold being relative, because you've seen every time he's put something bold forward, about three weeks later, it's been stripped down to the point where it's indistinguishable from a piece of toilet paper. So ultimately, this is the only way that I believe Biden, and this goes back a ways now. I mean, Biden has been ginning up the China angle since the beginning of Build Back Better, when he gave his speech about Build Back Better, it was all about China, 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 China. And I think that this positions him in a, like, here, here's my priority, but there's Russia once again over here seeing us trying to divert our attention. I mean, China's huge, right? China is a massive military power too. I mean, not compared to us in terms of the amount that we've invested, but there's still plenty big enough to blow this world up 10 times over again. So China, with their number of people and their military strength, and they've never proven to be a, a threat to anyone militarily. They're not going after us. They've never done anything like that. So this is really a matter of Joe Biden trying to somehow or another get popular support for things that people aren't willing to do otherwise. And, and, and right. Russia's calling their bluff. Russia sees them trying to pivot in this way. And they're saying, hey, now's as good a time as any to reclaim some land. Right. Real quick on Russia, Ukraine, not that either of us are you know, foreign policy experts, but we're certainly not neocons. Uh, do you buy this hubbubaloo that you know this could be World War III and yada, yada? How do you see this playing out? I don't think any of the superpowers are willing to do anything like that at this point. I think a lot of this is used purely for triangulation games to get something they want done. It's a, it's really more a matter of leverage. Um, am I right? I don't know. I think I am. I think that this really is from the U S perspective. What do we want from this? What do we want from this? We want popular support for building out our infrastructure. What does China want out of this? They want us to turn our head away so that they can continue doing what they're doing with Hong Kong and so forth. What does Russia want? They want us to turn our head back to China so that they can do what they want with Ukraine. You know, and, and each of these groups has their own agenda. What does Iran want? Iran wants a nuclear plan. They want to be able to have uh, the sanctions lifted and they want to be free to move about the cabin, so to speak. Uh, so each of these groups has very, very fundamentally different angles that they want to achieve. Um, and so I don't think war is on anyone's agenda, but we both know that war is one of the primary ways that 
countries that are in a stagnating economy can actually prime that pump. When you start refueling the war machine, that gets the economic activity going once again. And so this has always been a way of uh, kind of preventing recessions in a weird way is, hey, let's go to war. Let's Hmm. go ahead and get the military machine ramped up. So you notice that federal spending is slowed down. And with federal spending slowing down and most of that money going to the top, that leaves the rest of the economy without a whole lot of money. They like to look in aggregates at all the money that's been spent. But when you look at distribution, the lower tier people, most of us didn't get any money out of this. So the economy will slow down without that spigot being on. And they know that. And so because they failed at domestic spending, they're looking at potentially war spending. This is a way of ginning up. We need defense spending. We need this. We need that. So just sort of look at these things from a standpoint of, I don't believe it's World War III. I don't believe anyone's stupid enough to do that yet. But then again, hey, these are stupid people that are that have goals that exceed my you know peon brain understanding. So it wouldn't shock me at all if something happened, but I don't think it's World War III. I love it when you give me a great segue. So speaking of stupid people, speaking of stupid uh, people, moving on to the next topic. Before I move on to the next topic, let me remind you, Smash that like button right under the stream. It's the like button. Uh, the more people that press like, the more people that will see this stream. Also share this stream. Uh, sh- uh, press the share button. If you are a new Status Coup subscriber, please do me the patriotic duty. Click the bell. Or if you're a- an existing Status Coup subscriber and you never have, click that bell right next to the subscribe tab. And then click hover over the bell after you click it and press all notifications. That way you will get all notifications for when we post shorter videos or when we post our live stream. And if you're a new Status Coup subscriber, speaking of notifications, you could join our text list. That's statuscoup.com slash text. That way, if YouTube doesn't notify you, you'll get a text message when we're live. We don't text you for any other reason. It's not when I'm feeling down, not when I'm feeling wonderful, not when I'm going to the bathroom. The only text you will receive is when we are live. So please, please join our text list. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. So statuscoup.com slash text uh, for that. So Steve, uh, speaking of stupid people, I saw this tweet from Biden. Uh, and again, you know, sorry to be a pinata party on Biden, but he's given us ample opportunity. You know, you and I have talked a lot about the new Gilded Age of the United Corporations of America. Uh, and it's kind of always been a Gilded Age, but over the last, I'd say, five to 10 years, it is now a new Gilded Age. Uh, and Biden has tweeted this out the other day. Here's the deal. Gotta love what he says. Here's the deal. America is the only leading economy in the world where the economy as a whole is stronger than before the pandemic. Our economic plans are working. Let me repeat. Here's the deal. Corn pop. <laughs> America is the only leading economy in the world where the economy as a whole is stronger than before the pandemic. Our economic plans are working. So we could get into which economy he's talking about is stronger, whether it's the economy for you or I and and our viewers or, you know, for his donors. Uh, But it's funny that he tweeted that uh, because that's that's been kind of their talking point that we've created the record jobs, that unemployment is down, the stock market's up. Everything's wonderful. You know, uh, everybody has ample money, as Jen Psaki uh, said on The View. You know, just go to a kickboxing class and drink margaritas. Okay, relax. My advice to everyone out there who's frustrated, sad, angry, pissed off, feel those emotions, go to a kickboxing class, have a margarita, do whatever you need to do this weekend, and then wake up on Monday morning. We got to keep fighting. (laughs) We'll fight. We'll fight for it. That's literally what she said on The View. So a new poll is out. Uh, a new poll is out, and uh, I'm reading from NBC News. Um, let me just give credit to who did the poll. Um, do, 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 do. I think it's an NBC News poll, actually. Yeah, NBC News poll. So according to the poll, 72% of Americans say the country is headed in the wrong direction, essentially unchanged from the 71% who held this view in October. It marks just the sixth time in the poll's history when 70% or more have said the nation is on the wrong track in back-to-back surveys. Uh, On the economy, while job creation is up and the unemployment rate is down, 61% of respondents in the poll say their family's income is falling behind the cost of living. So 61% of respondents are basically saying 
they can't meet expenses. That's what that means. That's compared with 30% who say they're staying about even and 7% who say their income is going up faster. So 7% is doing good, basically. <laughs> um, and here's the chart. Uh, January, uh, so June 1996, 50% <laughs> were falling behind. Uh, and now January 2022, 61%. So 61% say basically they're falling behind on expenses while Biden is crowing about our economy is the only economy stronger uh, before than before the pandemic. And just a quick reminder, uh, this goes to other statistics. This is from 2019. Nearly 40% of Americans can't cover a surprise $400 expense. My strong indication is that has not changed much in two years. Maybe it temporarily changed, Steve, when Americans were getting, uh, got a stimulus check, when uh, families were getting the child tax credit, which for a family could expanded range between expanded unemployment. But now that all that temporary aid is, is gone, uh, my guess is the same Americans, again, 40% of Americans couldn't afford a $400 emergency, still can't afford that. So I don't know. It seems very gilded age to me. And of course, Biden's a politician. They're going to dress things up and push their narrative. It seems very gilded age to me that Biden is putting out this message that the economy is better than it was before the pandemic, uh, that he's saying our economic plans are working. I don't know what those plans are yet. I don't know. 61% is a big number. Can't, can't, cannot meet basic expenses, uh, not to mention the other statistics I gave you. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, uh, Colin, if you have this too, uh, although we have a strike wave, you know, we have uh, strikes forming around the country. Union drives uh, are uh, going on around the country. We've seen some victories. Uh, the Kroger workers who are on strike in Colorado just ratified a new contract. Look at this chart. We're at 10% of employees are unionized in this country. 10% of employees are unionized in this country. That's down from 20% in 1985. So the floor is yours, Steve. Uh, new Gilded Age much? Yeah, I think this is a bigger deal than I think anybody realizes. When, when you take aggregates, he says the economy as a whole, right? When he says as a whole, we're immediately talking macro and we're immediately talking aggregates. When you're talking about aggregates, that takes in all the outliers in the fire sector, a.k.a. you know, finance, insurance, real estate, uh, et cetera. OK, and so, yes, you watching housing go through the roof. Why is it going through the roof? Because there's a scarcity of houses being built. Number two, you're looking at investment. Why is that? Because all the money from the pandemic went to the wealthy. You're looking at all these companies that did super, super good, including the vaccination companies and the pharmaceuticals, et cetera. And so they're going through the roof. And since this number that they're looking at is based on GDP and based on aggregates, right? What you've got now is a skewing of all the horrors below that line. And to your point, 61% of people can't cover a basic $400 problem. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. Just to clarify, 40% can't afford $400 emergency. 61% in, in a poll now, uh, the 40% can't uh, cover an, an emergency, $400 emergency. That was from 2019. Currently, 61% right now in a poll out this week, 61% say they basically can't keep up with expenses. Yeah, I mean, th this, is, this is what I'm saying, though. Bottom line is, is that aggregates mask the class structure of our society. If you look at this and you actually tear it off by tiers, tear it off by levels of people, right? You're looking at a group of people at the top, very small amount of people that are doing very well. And you're looking at some pikers or mid-level people, the upper middle class that are doing pretty well because they have investment money that is circulating in that fire sector, right? But the average person, the regular Jane and Joe six pack, the rest of us, we're not doing so great. And then the people that are really hurting are really, really hurting. And so this number always skews that. If, if you did a stratification and looked across, I guarantee you 
there would be nobody that would give you a straight face answer and say this economy is doing well for anyone. The uberization of society is real. You showed it in that unionization number down from 20% down to 10%. I mean, we're talking about a country that wants to bring about labor, but all the laws going back to Reagan up to present have done everything they could to block real legal union actions. They have made it harder to unionize on the work site. They've made it harder to do any kind of labor. And one of the subjects that you and I had talked about was even uh, the, the nurses, you know, nurses trying to leave one hospital to go to another. They've got courts stepping in, blocking them from being able to, to do those sorts of things. So there's no one there championing not only regular labor, but any kind of uh, frontline workers, you name it, everyone is being squashed by this except for the investor class. And this is peak neoliberalism. This is what Biden is selling you. He is selling you an economy as good because of the aggregate. Don't listen to the aggregate. Peel back the layers of that. Look how the regular Main Street is living and Main Street is hurting and hurting bad. And it's going to get hurting worse as we got this thing in our head that government spending created the inflation. So naturally now the Fed is going to hike interest rates. Well, what does hiking interest rates do? Think about this for a minute. Hiking interest rates gives the wealthy more money because that's where that interest goes. That's number one. So it's a basic income for the already rich. Number two, it puts off buying decisions because you and I can't get credit now for things. So it makes the cost of goods more expensive. And number three, it is absolutely a lie, a lie across the board. The interest rates solve inflation. The only thing that they do is raise the price of things. Interest rates are a key component to actually creating more inflation. The only way that this in any way, shape, or form could help out with inflation is if somehow or another the production of those goods and services caught up to demand. And that's, in my opinion, their lopsided brain thinking that if we make it harder to get credit, if we make it more expensive to buy things, that people will slow down on their decisions to buy and that the businesses can catch up and build more. That's the only thing I can think of, but that's faulty thinking. It's not the way it should go. In fact, well, the more money in... Go ahead. I was going to say, also, it's a lie that inflation is simply because of you know OPEC and Saudi Arabia increasing gas prices. I mean, the Federal Reserve chair, I, I, I hate to do it. I, I give Elizabeth Warren credit. She grilled him, what was it, two weeks ago? And he just admitted, oh, yeah, companies are raising prices because they can. And at the same time, charging more on top of that to fatten their profit margins. That, that could be right. It could also just be, though, that demand is incredibly strong and, and that, um, uh, you know, they're, they're raising prices because they can. Well, that's the point. They're raising prices because they can and they're not being competed down. So a lot of this yes. inflation, a lot of these, a lot of this inflation is as federal chair, federal reserve chair, Jerome Powell said, companies price gouging. He didn't use that term, but he said, well, yeah, they could increase prices because they can. It's all, they're all monopolies. So a lot of this inflation has nothing to do with the interest rate per se. It has to do with these massive companies basically knowing, yeah, I could cite the, the higher cost for us, and then I'm passing it down to the consumer. In reality, in reality, you're marking shit up way beyond what you need to. Absolutely. I mean, this is old school. So much of inflation is just purely the fact that people think that if the government spends money, that out cause inflation. So you already have the psychology baked into the consumer that inflation is coming because the government printed money. The minute they implant that into your brain, it becomes part of the consciousness of society. So they just accept it, but it's bullshit. Reality is exactly what Powell said and exactly what Warren was lucky enough to pull out of him. It is gouging use whatever word you want to use. It is 100% Shrekly style gouging, like literally gouging the hell out of every person from EpiPens to gasoline to anything else. There's nothing God breathed that is making the price of oil a certain number. There's somebody with a pen that wrote it down and that's the number. And they said, we can do this. We're going to do this. Let's do this. And that's, what's causing these problems. And I'll also say, uh, 
to me, this new Gilded Age, which, by the way, we have a new graphic to showcase this new Gilded Age. So, uh, Colin, if you could pop that up. Uh, this new Gilded Age that we're talking about, this, this kind of Biden and this, I don't know if they're just delusional or they're just putting lipstick on a pig that the economy is doing great. It kind of reminds me of Obama in 2011 and 2012. Remember, he was running his for his reelection against Gordon Gekko, uh, kind of dressing up. You know, uh, we, we're having record numbers, record job creation. Are are we every are we all the way back from uh, the financial crash and recession? No. But he was he was dressing up. The economy is doing a lot better, this and that. And frankly, it wasn't really working for a lot of the campaign because the economy wasn't doing a lot better. I would argue Obama, you know, it's 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 history at this point. Who knows what would have happened? I would argue. I mean, the polls were very close between Obama and Mitt Romney for a while until, you know, the 47 percent tape came out with Romney talking to donors, you know, 47 percent of the country are moochers uh, and those kind of things. So basically, Obama uh, was pushing out the message that Biden is pushing out. Obviously, Obama was a lot more coherent in his messaging, could kind of stand up and construct <laughs> sentences. But you get the point. They were push. They were trying to mask the new Gilded Age as like the economy's booming, but people were not feeling that. And I think Obama was vulnerable in terms of reelection. He got helped out by a bad candidate, by, you know, really terrible things the candidate said. Frankly, it's revisionist history. I actually think if Trump would have ran in 2012, he could have beat Obama potentially. Uh, so I I feel that what Biden is doing is what Obama and the Democrats did then, basically smoke and mirrors. The economy's getting better. GDP is up. But people people are smarter than that because they're not feeling that. And right now, people are smarter than that because the polls are showing they're not feeling that. And as you and I have talked about, a lot, you know, I would say 40 to 50 percent of the jobs that have come back are the same paycheck to paycheck, non-living wage jobs, no paid sick leave, benefits. Eh. So it's like, all right, what kind of economy we're talking about? You could technically have full employment. But if you look underneath the hood of that employment, it's a lot of paycheck to paycheck, non-living wage jobs. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at basically stagflation here. I mean, the cost of goods is going up. The wages are staying suppressed and and people are literally becoming less and less able to survive less and less able and you know the i think the worst thing is i mean did you ever see the show breaking bad please tell me yes just even if you didn't i i sure did <laughs> well great there show. you go so great show. so you got you got uh you know our guy there heisenberg okay regular school teacher who is found to be dying of cancer that has to make some really, really shitty decisions because he's got a new baby on the way. And so what does he do? He ends up becoming a meth dealer, right? People are pushed to do horrible things in, in the essence of trying to live or die and, and to take care of their family or not take care of their family. And so all of a sudden now people are making decisions that are it's like the lesser of two evils. The only difference is, is that it's worse or worse or worse. You know, you, you don't really have a good choice. And so you end up picking these bad situations just to survive, making deals with the devil, buying, getting a credit with 35% interest rate on them, doing whatever it takes to make ends meet, knowing full well that at some point in time, the ax is going to fall. Knowing there's no chance to get out of this debt hole. And, and this is going on all the while we're pumping out this concept of good GDP. And I don't know if our viewers understand this, but GDP is gross domestic product. In other words, it is like every bit of economic activity that the nation does. It's indiscriminate. It doesn't matter whether the, the uh, financial transactions are based on cleaning up an oil spill from a tanker or whether it's cleaning up uh, hurricane messes or whether it's simply getting good doctors and nurses. Maybe it's giving health care. It's all things, all activity. So when you look at GDP, it's also talking about all that financial transactions in Wall Street. It's not talking about you buying bread. It's not talking about you paying your electric bill. It's not talking about you making sure that your children have a roof over their heads. If we carve that off and we could look at that, it would be a very, very different picture we're talking about. 
But I, I, I think it's very important that everybody understands that when you hear them talking about these things, what they are in fact talking about literally is aggregates with the intention of obscuring the very specific details below that we're all suffering through. So don't be snowed by these words as a whole. As a whole is code for macro aggregate lies intentionally blocking you from seeing the struggling that is really going on. Absolutely. And a quick reminder before we move on to the last topic, this Thursday, if you are a new status quo member, because we've gotten nearly 100 new members, 100 new signups over the last week, uh, thanks to the Flint story I broke and getting on other shows, and that brought in new viewers. If you are a new status quo member or an existing status quo member, we're having our members call this Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. That's 4 o'clock Pacific through Zoom. Uh, so you'll get the Zoom link if you're a member. This also applies to status quo patrons. Uh, so you will get the Zoom link. 7 o'clock Eastern time, 4 o'clock Pacific. It's through Zoom. Uh, you could have your camera on. Uh, you could mute your camera if you don't want to be on camera. Uh, we answer questions, comments, concerns. I usually give way too much information. TMI, uh, Colin and Colin and his cats will join us. Uh, Tina uh, will join us. Uh, she's a freelance reporter that uh, does some work for us. So definitely, definitely join us if you're a member. If you're not a member, sign up right now. Statuscoo.com slash join. Become a member for $5 a month. That is 16 cents a day uh, to support Status Coup, to support our investigative reporting, and to, to help fund our on-the-ground reporting uh, we have not been in the field over the last few weeks because I didn't really want to get COVID twice, uh, but we'll be back out there as cases continue to decline. Money don't grow on trees. I'm not the Federal Reserve, so we can't print it. You are funding the investigative reporting on Flint, the on-the-ground reporting elsewhere. So please, please, if you can, $5 a month, statuscoup.com slash join. Looking forward to that members call. Steve, this story is really something, and it just shows we don't have a free market. We have a gilded age and we have a market dictated by corporations and hospitals and, and the wealthy. Uh, as, as we talk about this, the story is resolved, but the fact that it even got this far is amazing. So let me start with this tweet. This is from Stephen Greenhouse. He's with the New York Times, a former, he's used to be with the New York Times. Crazy, when seven Wisconsin hospital workers quit to work at another hospital for better pay and work-life balance, the first hospital didn't try to match the second hospital's offer. It instead got a judge to issue a temporary order blocking the workers from leaving. What? So let me go, you know, take you through memory lane. I don't know about you. When I worked for other people, long time ago, I worked at Fox News, for example right? Uh, dark, dark day. If you have questions, we could talk about it on the members call. I worked at Fox News, first media job, well, second media job. At first I worked in local television in college. So I went to, I went to Fox. I said, Hey, I got an offer from MSNBC. Uh, Fox asked me how much it was for. I told them they're giving me a $10,000 raise. Uh, Fox actually offered to match it, but I didn't want to be at Fox anymore, so I decided to leave. This would be the equivalent, not that I'm a healthcare worker, this would be the equivalent of like Fox News going to a judge and saying, uh, this person <laughs> is breaching, you know, we, we can't go on without this person, and somehow it's a life-threatening thing if this person leaves. Literally, what this hospital did was say, these seven workers who are at-will employees so they're not on a contract. They could they could come and go as they please, and the hospital could fire them as they please. In this country, you don't need much of a reason. But these workers, what happened was they, you know, felt um, underappreciated, did, didn't have a work-life balance, crazy hours, all the things that nurses and hospital workers I've spoken to over the last few weeks, very common. Hospital workers are being worked down to the bone. There is no work-life balance, particularly during COVID. So- they got an offer from a, another hospital for more money. They go to their hospital. They say, will you match? The hospital says no. And these workers are like, all right, I'm giving you my notice. And the hospital literally goes to a judge to basically stop them from going over to the new hospital, cl claiming it's a public health emergency, this and that. Uh, let me read a little bit from the article here. 
Seven healthcare workers will be able to start their new job at Ascension St. Elizabeth Hospital in Appleton, Wisconsin, after a judge dismissed a temporary restraining order Monday that was barring them from doing so at the request of their former employer, uh, Theta Care. Uh, so to be clear, initially the judge granted the injunction that temporarily stopped these workers from moving over to the new hospital, but now, thankfully, the judge saw the light and, and dismissed it. Um, Outagamie County Circuit Court Judge Merrick McGinnis ruled that Datacare's arguments were not enough to uphold the injunction. McGinnis said that he signed the initial restraining order Friday because of the gravity of the situation that Datacare laid out in their complaint. Wisconsin statute says the court should give substantial weight to any adverse impact on public safety when deciding what to require in the order. Uh, let me go down a little bit. Uh, employees say Datacare's actions were hurting hurtful after years of service. Testimony on Monday from the employees who worked together for years at Data Care's Nina Hospital, or Nena, I might be mispronouncing it, described a tight-knit team of technicians and nurses who wanted a better work-life balance for themselves and their colleagues. Kaylee Young, a former interve uh, interventional radiology, radiology technician at Data Care and the first of the group to apply to Ascension, said she had worked at Data Care for almost 11 years. She had planned to stay there, but became disgruntled last March when two other employees on her team were let go for reasons that she didn't think were right. At that point, she said she began to look for other work because her position requires her to live within 30 minutes of the hospital. Ascension St. Elizabeth was her only option. She applied for an open position at Ascension at the end of last year. The offer she eventually received from Ascension will give her, quote, life-changing money and fewer weekends that she needed to be on call, making it easier for her to be at home with her family. She encouraged the other technicians on her team to apply for other roles. When they each had received offers, they approached Data Care on December 21st and asked if the hospital would match the offers. They were told they would not be matched and that Data Care leadership understood the seriousness of losing all four technicians, but was willing to let them go. But Young said on Monday she would not return to work at Data Care, even if the injunction was upheld. It hurt to have her former employer argue that she and her colleagues don't care about the good of the community. So, Steve, this public health emergency that if it's such an emergency, which COVID is an emergency, uh, they didn't want to match these seven workers. Let me just give you a little nickels and dimes here on uh, Theta Care. Uh, Theta Care features 460 beds and has generated approximately 734 million annual net revenue. Let me repeat. Wow. 460 beds has generated approximately 734 million annual net <laughs> revenue. In fact, I'm wow. reading from Ensemble and ThetaCare named winners of HBI's 2020 annual revenue cycle awards. So they won an award <laughs> for their revenue. 734 million annual net revenue. That's a pretty damn good haul. Uh, let me also read. Uh, this is from uh, Fitch Ratings. Datacare's operating risk assessment is strong with operating EB EBITDA margins uh, averaging close to 9% over the past three years. Uh, Datacare has managed well through the pandemic, receiving a total of about $83 million in relief funding with 277 wow. <laughs> with 27.7 million remaining to be recognized in fiscal 2021. So folks, break it down. This company, $734 million in net revenue, and they got $83 million in free money from the government. They wouldn't match these seven workers, you know, whatever raise they were getting for the other hospital. But instead of actually matching it, they went to a judge to stop them from at will movement to another company. It's mind boggling, Steve. I mean, I'm happy the judge after initially granting the injunction tossed it, but just the fact that right. this hospital did that underneath Steve, if you look at it, this stuff's going on all over, all over the country. I, I'm talking to nurses on top of the horror stories you hear about the COVID patients and overflowing emergency rooms and how many patients there are dying, uh, you know, while they're having to see this. They're talking about the understaffing that hospitals, instead of giving them raises and hazard, hazard pays, are offering traveling nurses like two, three grand more uh, to come to their hospitals. Yet this hospital that's, it seems, making money hand over fist, instead of just paying these workers more, 
went to a judge to stop them from exercising the free market. Yeah, yeah. So we got a couple of things going on here. I want to take it two different angles because it's really important to see both sides of this. Not that there's two sides to their story, but there's two sides to the story that we need to see as people. So number one, I just want to break down EBITDA. EBITDA is expenses before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. And it's one of those typical business things that they look at. And that, I mean, they're kicking ass, right? They're making a lot of money. However, the burnout that has occurred in frontline hospital workers and the burnout that has occurred in hospitals in general, not just, you know, the nurses and doctors, but you know, gurney, you know, x-ray techs, phlebotomists, you name it, all those people is very real. And if you look at our push in the United States right now, the people that want Medicare for all and so forth, this is really should be very alarming. It, forget the expenses, forget the pay, et cetera, for the moment. There is a shortage of these individuals. People have left the workplace, period. They, they don't want to do it anymore. They want out. And so that means that you need more of these people trained and ready to go for us to have enough doctors, nurses, lawyers, you know, whatever across the board. We need all of those people to, to give Medicare for all if we were to do something like that. If we were to have a healthcare service, we need many, many more of those kinds of workers. That should show us right off the bat that we have not prepared properly to support a move to Medicare for all or anything like that as an aside. Now, back to this. The reason why they're putting going after an injunction here is not about the pay. The bottom line is, is that they, they, they don't want to set a precedent. They don't want to set a pay precedent that when this pandemic is over, they can't unset. So they're willing to spend extra money on traveling Uberization nurses, if you will, uh, because they're not giving them benefits. They're not giving them anything else. It's just additional pay as whoever else who, if they're working for a staffing agency, they're getting their benefits through them or they're getting their benefits through, uh, you know, the marketplace, the ACA marketplace or wherever the hell they're getting them from. But bottom line is that hospital is most likely not providing a full suite of benefits. And so they're willing to pay a premium for that because they know when the time comes, they could just let them go. They don't, if there's no need for them, they can just let them go. So this is more about adding precarity and more about ensuring that they don't set a new high watermark on wages when this is over and then they're stuck paying this because nobody wants to have their wages clawed back. So they could afford this all day long. There's no question about it. But this comes down to a fact that we don't have enough frontline workers and they're out there competing for these things. And, and quite frankly, they don't want to settle uh, the watermark. That, that's what it all comes down to. They want their cake. They want to eat it too. But the more alarming factor is that we don't have enough of those kinds of workers in this country to staff up to meet the basic needs, the basic healthcare needs of all American citizens. And that should be number one priority as a nation is making sure that we have enough doctors, nurses, et cetera, to, to address the healthcare in this country. Um, we're not as, as a government, the government is failing us big time there, even without Medicare for all there, there should be all kinds of uh, incentives to get people trained and to get people into these positions. Cause we need them. We need them. Mm -hmm. We need to replenish those who have left the workforce and we need to replenish those who have retired, et cetera. Uh, I, I think it's a very, very serious, it is a national healthcare emergency in that sense that we don't have enough. It is absolutely an emergency. Should not be stopping them from moving to another hospital though. But what's amazing to me also, and it's not just this hospital, ThetaCare, or this healthcare system, ThetaCare, because I think they have I don't know how many, maybe 10 or 11 hospitals under their wing, under their company, uh, that these corporate CEOs, because let's just call it what it is. A lot of these hospitals are technically nonprofit, but they're run like corporations. Oh, yeah. They got greedy vultures as CEOs. The board is all rich people that they have the audacity to go to a court and basically claim that these workers who are exercising the free market, again, at will workers, they're not on a contract. They could quit whenever they want and they could be fired whenever the hospital wants. That these greedy motherfuckers have the audacity to try and make it seem like these healthcare workers are endangering the public during a crisis. 
when you, again, when you got 83, let me get the number again. When you got 83 uh, million, I think it was from the government as yep. part of uh, coronavirus relief, when you, your revenue is $733 million, excuse me, 733, uh, damn it, did I lose it? Uh, you're up yeah, there. $733 million. Uh, and you are going to a judge claiming these greedy motherfucking nurses and technicians, uh, they're endangering public safety. You are endangering public safety. All Absolutely. these other all the all these other hospitals that are nickel and diming nurses won't give them hazard pay, won't uh, give them more hours, and instead are hiring travel nurses that are technically more expensive, but in a way save the hospitals money because they get to shape they get to get around, uh, you know, making nurses or benefits. hospital workers benefits. It is unbelievable the hubris, the audacity. Because these are the healthcare yep. workers that have PTSD from dealing with COVID for nearly three years. Uh, we're now entering year three. These are the healthcare workers that literally have had to see mass death, not just with COVID, but for other things. These are the healthcare workers that are working 12, 13, 14 hour shifts. I spoke with a nurse who literally at her hospital, uh, they are asking full-time nurses after their 12, 13 hour shift to come in as volunteers to do administrative work instead of just paying more people to do administrative work. So it's not just about data care. This sickness and this greed is across the board at other hospitals. And I'm sure for viewers that are watching that either have family members that are healthcare workers or themselves have been healthcare workers, what we're describing to you is not breaking news. And this is in part, I don't want to make it all about politics. This is in part why more than any other lobbying group, possibly more than any other lobbying group, why they fight fiercely the most to stop a universal healthcare system. Because a universal healthcare system, sure, you could have some private care, but it would basically wipe this out. All of this for-profit, non-profit, same shit, different day, greed, and get rid of the middleman and get rid of, maybe not completely get rid of, but significantly put the power back in uh, you know, the government's hands to disseminate healthcare rather than the for-profit, non-profit industrial complex. If they are going to be serious, anytime the federal government gives money for a given cause, in this case, there should have been an encumbrance that would make them invest in training new nurses, creating programs to create new doctors and nurses, incentivizing nurses, whatever it would be, there should be some sort of thing there that creates new nurses, new doctors in the pipeline. If there's not training for that, and there's no incentive right now, right? I mean, just because they need those things doesn't mean that there's anyone actually funding those things. And so this is ends up being a delta. And so it's like everybody's like, I'm not going to say anything. You're not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. So they're waiting for someone to pony up the bill to train these nurses and doctors to fill that void. The hospitals getting all that money, part of that should be encumbered to train and to secure that pipeline. Since that didn't happen, it's just here. Here's the money. Do whatever you want with it. Here, you earn this. Take the money. There is no incentive to force that into being. And so they, instead of putting their efforts in training new people and recruiting new people and bringing new people into the hospital, they would rather go to a court and have an injunction put on the people because they didn't plan for a rainy day. They didn't plan for this kind of thing because ultimately they're in it for the money and that's it, that's it, period. And this all, by the way, falls under the umbrella. Build back better, back to normal. <laughs> That's what's going on. And by the way, it's Biden, it's the Republicans, it's all of them. We live in the United Corporations of America, right behind me. And the United Corporations of America is why hospitals like ThetaCare uh, get to file injunctions to stop workers from moving on to a better job. Again, it's over. The judge initially issued the injunction and then you know dismissed it. But just the very fact that they did this and what's underneath that, that how much money is this hospital making, that they cried, oh, these health, these nurses are greedy and they're endangering the public by leaving during a public health crisis. No, no, you are greedy. The hospital is greedy. The CEO is greedy. The board is greedy, not the brave workers on the front lines. And by the way, you could apply 
this to teachers, to Amazon workers, Amen. to factory workers, to meatpacking workers, to Kroger workers, across the board. Steve, I tell the audience, uh, where can people find, you're now doing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I believe at noon, the Rogue yep. Scholar. The Rogue that's Scholar. Correct. Tell people what yeah, that's, that's right. about. Instead of the Rogue Scholar, the Rogue Scholar, right? And so what we've been trying to do is be able to piece together uh, a a short lunchtime version of of some of the educational stuff that we do with macro and cheese, We're trying to do it in video format during a time that most people aren't doing live stream. We try to find a sweet spot in the in the fold, um, and hopefully uh, it keeps growing and growing. Um, we've had some really good people come through here. Uh, we've had Professor Steve Keen. Uh, we've had Fadal Kaboob, and uh, we had Mike Sayanato the other day, great uh, labor writer for The Guardian. Um, and uh, we've had our friends from Reset Race talking about reparations. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. Friends like Jen Perlman have been on. I'm hopefully have you on sometime. And they're really just short, you know, 30-minute uh, type interviews, discussions, uh, where we try and talk about something very important that probably the other groups they're not talking about, not in the way that we're talking about them. So it's an education, it's entertainment, and hopefully you find value in it. And that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday noon on Real Progress in Action YouTube channel. And of course, uh, my Saturdays uh, start at 8 a.m. We have the podcast Macro and Cheese, which is absolutely uh, my the thing I invest myself the most in this macro and cheese. It's it's a really really good podcast, high visibility across the world. We've got great listenership all the way in Australia, Europe, uh, the U.S. Obviously, um, so please definitely check out the podcast. You can find this on our website. Or you can find it on any uh, podcasting platform. Macro the letter N cheese, uh, and of course on our website realprogressives.org. And I really encourage people because it makes a big difference. For example, when I was on Brianna Joy Gray and some others, and they call for people to subscribe, it makes a big difference when bigger channels can tell people and, and kind of give you a boost to subscribe. So go subscribe uh, right after this to Real Progress in Action on YouTube. Like Status Coup, they're not getting boosted in YouTube's algorithm. Uh, they're also not doing a lot of this kind of reactionary hot take, all caps fluff right they do like real substantive reporting uh very similar stuff that we do on economic exploitation financial schemes so go subscribe to real progress uh real progress in action on youtube and even if you can't watch at noon uh monday wednesday and friday it's 30 minutes so if you got a car ride a train ride a subway ride if you're like me and want to be a dipshit and try to listen or watch shit in the shower <laughs> which I try to do uh, while not ruining my phone. Uh, 30 minutes, I think, is doable for people to watch, listen, share. So go subscribe, Real Progress in Action. And yeah, on the weekends too, uh, I've been on Macro and Cheese. Uh, they're doing great stuff. So thank you, Steve. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you so much, Jordan. Appreciate it, man. Take care, everybody. At, absolutely. And a reminder, folks, one more time, because we want to make this coming members call one of the biggest ones. Uh, and we have a lot a lot of new members that just signed up recently. So this Thursday, so two days from now, 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. So 7 o'clock Eastern, 4, 4 o'clock Pacific. So, uh, we're having our members call through Zoom. So you'll get the link uh, before the call. Uh, members get it. Patrons get it. Um, and it's it's fun. We usually go an hour, sometimes hour and a half, two hours. Uh, we I answer your questions, comments, concerns. It's very interactive. Uh, you could be on camera. You could have your video on if you want on Zoom. You could mute your video and just have your audio on, whatever floats your boat. Uh, I usually kind of give more behind the scenes of what's going on, sometimes TMI. Uh, so definitely, definitely, definitely sign up as a member. Statuscoo.com slash join your membership. It, if, if, if we did not have a, a, a status quo membership and people paying $5 a month, in, you know, we have higher levels to $10 a month and some higher levels. But if we didn't have status quo members funding us, I would have never been able to break any of these Flint water stories because to break stories like this, it requires actually going places actually building sources, actually talking to real living, breathing people that the corporate media will not talk to. Residents, activists, local politicians that are not scum. Uh, it actually takes um, digging. I've, got, I've gone to Flint 
uh, 18 times to be exact. Some of that was with the Young Turks. A lot of it has been with Status Quo funded by you. So please, please sign up. Statusku.com slash join. We try to make it affordable for just about everybody at $5 a month. That's 16 cents a day. Obviously, if you can't, if, if it's not in your budget, that's fine. We understand. If it is in your budget, statusku.com says join. I'm really looking forward to this particular member's call on Thursday. We'll talk about the Flint story, some of the behind the scenes stuff that you guys might not know. Uh, so statusku.com says join. We are near 100 new members over the last week. That's huge. Let's keep that going. You could sign up today or anytime before Thursday. And also, not just our members call. As a member, you get access to our members-only Discord channel. You also get access to some other behind-the-scenes videos that we do just for members. And that I just posted a video over the weekend just for members. So, and uh, Colin, if we could put it up, uh, for that, you go to statuscoopmember.com. Statuscoopmember.com if you're a new member. Uh, go to statuscoopmember.com and you click over members member content, and that will give you access to our behind the scenes videos for members. So thank you for watching. Tomorrow, we will have Steven Donzinger, the human rights attorney, uh, who is still, still over 900 days. He's been under arrest, basically most of that under house arrest uh, for about a month and a half. He was actually in federal prison. Now he is out of federal prison, but still uh, carrying out the rest of his term under house arrest. He just passed over 900 days between the house arrest and um, the short period in actual federal prison. So we're going to have him on a lot of unusual things going on. And the judge in his case, not providing Donzinger and his lawyers with basic information that Donzinger and we uh, should have access to. So we're going to have uh, Stephen Donzinger on tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great night.